Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Tesla Q3 2020 Financial Results and Q&A webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker, Mr. Martin Vieca, Senior Director of Invest of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Sherry, and good afternoon, everyone. And welcome to Tesla's third quarter 2020 Q&A webcast. I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q3 results were announced at about 1 p.m. Pacific time in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During this call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please press star one now if you would like to join the question queue. But before we jump into the Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, thanks, Martin. All right, so Q3 was our best quarter in history. We achieved the record production and deliveries, record revenue, record net income, uh, both gap and ungap, and record free cash, cash flow of $1.4 billion. Uh, this is really due to the amazing execution by the Tesla team. Uh, I could not be more proud to work with such a great group of people. Um, just really kick out performance across throughout the world. Um, of course, we had a battery day, uh, so we hosted, showed our plans for how we can expand in the future and improve core battery technology, core cell technology at the form factor level, chemistry level, um, and um, I think more significantly at the manufacturing uh, technology level. Um, there's only a comment I've made in the past is that I think Tesla's long-term competitive strength will be primarily manufacturing. Uh, this is counterintuitive, but I, I'm quite confident this will be uh, what, what happens. Um, Anyway, so we presented what the team's been working on for a long time, well, batteries. Um, we, we wanted to st step back and really rethink batteries from scratch. Uh, first, first principle thinking, just look at the, the fundamental physics and say what, uh, rather than compare to uh, other products in the market, just say from a physics standpoint, if you, you know, what, what's, the, what's the limit of physics? What's the platonic ideal of a perfect cell? And how close can we get there? Um, and uh, that, that was our aspiration, and I think we've, we've, we've got a pretty good uh, approach to it, um, which will only get better over time. And so we went through all of the engineering solutions for every important part of battery design and production, um, and we'll continue to iterate on that and just recursively improve the core uh, cell and battery technology. The, the result, we, we think, in, you know, in a few years will be batteries that cost half as much and where the capital expenditures required are a third or, or less of what they are today. And uh, we expect uh, Giga Berlin will see our first uh, battery cell production line at scale. Uh, regarding the full self-driving beta release, uh, the autopilot team, uh, again, just a really all-star team. Um, I spent a lot of time with the, with the autopilot team, and there's still a lot of really talented people on that team who've worked incredibly hard to make the to get get the, the beta release out, uh, so I just really like to, to thank them for their their hard work, um, and uh, it's just a, it's just a very smart group of people. So um, I, I think we're starting very slow and very, just very cautiously um, because the world is a, a complex and messy place, and so we we're um, you know we, we put it out there last night, and then we'll, we'll see how it goes, and then uh, probably release it to more people uh, this weekend or early next week, um, and then just gradually step it up um, until we have uh, hopefully a wide release uh, by the end of this year. Um, and, and of course, as the system collects more data and uh, it, be it becomes more robust. Um, so um, it, it's sort of like, you know, how does Google as a search engine get better? It's because everyone is programming it by asking it questions all the time and clicking on particular links. So it's got this great feedback loop, um, and that, that makes it a, an extremely effective uh, search engine. Um, it's the same thing for autonomy. Um, having on the order of a million cars uh, that are providing feedback, and, and specifically, 
feedback on, on strange corner case situations that you just can't even come up with in simulation, uh, this is the thing that is really valuable. It's not like the the, 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 the obvious stuff. Obvious stuff you can do in simulation. Um, but weird, weird corner cases, uh, only reality can, can give you that. So uh, that's, but, but we're able to say, okay, we need to train the system on this corner case situation uh, and, and look for examples so we can, we can then uh, train against those examples and improve uh, some very esoteric corner case. Um, and um, also important to emphasize that this is a generalized uh, neural net-based approach. Uh, there is no need for high-definition maps or a cell phone connection. So the, the car, the, the system is designed such that even if you have no connectivity whatsoever, and you are in a place that you have never been to before, and no Tesla has ever been there, the car should still be able to drive, just like a person. Uh, that is the system that we are developing and uh, aiming to release uh, this year. Um, then in terms of capacity build-out, uh, we're making progress on um, three major factories. Uh, we're continuing to expand Shanghai significantly, uh, which is going incredibly well. The Tesla China team um, is just, I mean, incredibly good. Uh, we're super smart, work hard. It's like I'm always amazed by how much progress the Tesla China team makes. Uh, it's uh, beyond all reasonable expectations. Um, and then we're under construction in uh, Berlin and, Tech and, and, and Austin. Um, so also making good progress there. Um, yeah, it's great. So it's overall going well. Um, I, I should make a point that for Berlin and Austin, um, we, we, we do expect to start delivering cars from those factories next year. But because of the exponential nature of, of, a, of the spool up of a manufacturing plant, especially one with new technology, um, it, it, it will start off very slow at first, and then, then, and then um, become very. The, the output will become very large. Just in, in general, manufacturing follows the S curve, and uh, you know, and I think sometimes people, if they haven't spent a lot of time manufacturing, kind of think that once you have a factory, you can just sort of turn it on and it's at capacity. But it, it will typically take about 12 to 18 months to reach capacity. Um, and that is a very fast period of time, uh, especially for new technology. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say 12 to 24 months even. Um, so, generally what I see is um, the manufacturing capacity is uh, underestimated in the beginning um, for quite some time. Uh, then it's sometimes overestimated uh, because this is an S-curve. Um, it goes exponential to linear, to logarithmic. Um, and um, it, it's, it's actually an incredibly hard thing just bringing a, a production plant uh, to volume technology. Because it, 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 you can actually think of it like you've got, to first order approximation, 10,000 unique uh, parts or processes, all of which operate on an S-curve um, and, and, and with, with a bunch of uncertainty. And you can just slide 10,000 S-curves on an X-axis and that's what bringing up a large automotive plant is like. And which one is which one's the the, the laggard? Which one's the leader? It's very difficult to tell, and it's constantly changing. Um, so it, it's really one of the most difficult challenges I've ever seen. Um, so let's see. Um, in conclusion, uh, thank you. Uh, all we've achieved would not be possible without the incredible hard work of tens of thousands of Tesla employees um, and all the people at our suppliers as well. I'd like to thank our suppliers. Um, we continue to grow as fast as we can while focusing on cost control and, and improving quality. Um, and ultimately, the, the, the best company will be that which makes great products at an affordable price. And that is, uh, that is our goal. Uh, I think I've never felt more optimistic about the future of Tesla than I, than I do today. Um, also, like to thank investors who have stuck with us, with us through thick and thin. Um, this is, uh, I think, there's there's a lot more good stuff to come. All right, with that, we can move to questions. Uh, thank you, Elim. I think uh, our CFO Zachary Kirkhorn has some opening remarks as well. Okay, sure. Sorry. Yeah, thanks, Martin. 
Uh, overall, our financial health continues to rapidly improve, with Q3 being another great quarter on nearly all dimensions, as Elon has mentioned. On net, on, on net income, we achieved our fifth sequential quarter of profitability, our best net income, and nearly double-digit operating margins. Two things that are important to note to set context for Q3 profitability. First, the regulatory credits business was stronger than our expectations, and we are tracking to more than double this year compared to last. Second, as a result in the rise of the market cap of the company, the second and third tranche of the CEO grant vested during the quarter. Additionally, we have begun expensing one more tranche, resulting in roughly $300 million of combined period expense. I think it's reasonable to view the quarter excluding both these items to get a true sense of the health of the core business. On automotive gross margin, excluding regulatory credits, it increased materially from 18.7% to 23.7%, with some of our programs achieving greater than 25% gross margin. Keep in mind that inefficiencies related to factory shutdowns affected our margins in Q2. We continue to reduce our manufacturing and operational costs. We are also seeing benefits from the ongoing upward trend of locally built and delivered cars, which has increased from under 50% at the beginning of last year to over 70% most recently, which is a core component of our cost reduction strategy. We are also seeing financial benefits from improved vehicle reliability across the, fe- across the fleet. Services and other margin approved yet again, driven by our used vehicle business and, in- and efficiencies in our service operations. In the energy business, we achieved record storage deployments aided by the positive reception of the Megapack and Powerwall products as production and deployments grow. Additionally, our solar deployments doubled and we're continuing to make progress on that front. On cash flows, our cash balance increased to $14.5 billion, which includes free cash flows of $1.4 billion, our highest yet. Our operating cash flows were $2.4 billion, uh, including a $600 million benefit from working capital as we've made progress on days of receivables and inventory, despite a reduction in days of payables. Note that the majority of our operating cash flows are driven by the strengthening of our core operations. Capital expenses grew to $1 billion, driven by Model Y investments in Shanghai, Berlin, and Austin. As for previous investments in Model 3 Shanghai and Model Y in Fremont, we're expecting these programs to have already fully paid for their respective investments by the end of this year. Looking forward to 2021 and 2022, we have revised up our expectations for capital spending by two to two and a half billion, which we have ample liquidity and expected cash flows to fund. This is driven by an increase in in-source scope for certain factories, including battery cell manufacturing, as well as investments to enable greater capacity expansion in the future. While we expect the return on our investments to remain very strong, keep in mind that with additional scope and location-specific costs, The payback of these investments may be slightly longer than what we saw in Model 3 in Shanghai and Model Y in Fremont. Financing cash flows were $4.5 billion as we reduced use of our working capital lines offset by a $5 billion equity raise in September. Note that we're currently expecting over a billion in early convert paydowns in Q4, primarily associated with the 2021 conversions, but also our 2022 and 2024s. Looking forward, we remain focused on strengthening the core fundamentals of the business. Uh, We are increasing production to meet demand, reducing costs, including localization, driving higher efficiency across the business, and tightening our cash conversion cycle. We've made tremendous progress on this front over the last year and a half. We're also aiming to achieve our original 2020 guidance of 500,000 deliveries, despite the operational interruptions earlier in the year. While this goal remains a genuine challenge, we believe it's possible with tight execution across the company. So congratulations again to the Tesla team for a great quarter and a great year. I'll hand it over to RJ Johnson, who joined Tesla earlier in the year and is leading our energy business for a few comments. Thank you, Zach. First, I'd like to also thank and congratulate the team on a job well done. Q3 was a strong quarter for the energy business and we're poised for continued strong growth in energy storage and solar. Megapack is going to be a large growth segment for the business, and deployments will continue to expand rapidly as the product reaches full capacity. We have more demand than supply through 2021, and we continue to ramp the product to match unprecedented demand across the globe through 2023 and beyond. Our order book is rapidly filling up through 2023 in the multiple gigawatt-hour scale. Large-scale solar plus storage is now more cost-effective 
than traditional fossil fuel generation in many locations across the globe. This trend will continue as we remove costs, which will further displace existing and new fossil fuel generation. This is true for standalone storage as well. Many customers are utilizing AutoBidder to maximize returns as we optimize our hardware and software with advanced real-time bidding strategies that continue to outperform the market where deployed. For Powerwall, we see continued strong demand for residential storage as customers seek increased reliability and backup home generation. We have a very large backlog of Powerwall orders, and we continue to invest to increase capacity to fulfill customer orders. We're just now capturing the full power of customer-sided solar plus storage as customers in some jurisdictions are providing services back to the grid when they don't need to consume energy or have backup power. This has massive potential to reduce system costs and make the grid more efficient globally. In the United States, we lowered our residential solar retrofit price to $1.49 a watt after tax incentives, which is the lowest in the industry. We're able to do this by leveraging our online vehicle ordering infrastructure, which substantially reduces soft costs associated with sales and marketing. As a result, our fixed costs remain relatively flat as our volume and efficiency increase, leading to increased profitability in the retrofit business. We're using the same methodology across the, the entire energy business, including service, to capitalize on the technology backbone of the company. Solar Roof is especially exciting as we've gained significant experience over the last year in the installation process, which is a key enabler to scale the business. We've recently demonstrated our ability to complete solar roof in installation in just one day. You know, please note this still requires one to two days to remove the existing roof and prepare it for the solar roof installation. Clearly, there will be a range of installation times based on size, complexity, weather, and other factors. Overall, our reduced installation time provides a better customer experience and will enable the business to grow exponentially as scale effects allow for increased efficiency. In closing, we believe the energy segment is poised for a strong growth as we continue to focus on increasing scale while reducing cost to maximize profitability. I want to thank the team again for their hard work and I look forward to another strong quarter ahead of us. Thank you very much, everyone. And let's begin with questions from Setup Tom. Uh, the first question from retail shareholders is, uh, is Tesla planning to start 4680 cell production at Giga Berlin at the same time as vehicle production? Can Tesla share more information on what products will use the battery cells from the pilot line in Fremont? Uh, yeah, um, Drew, do you want to take that? Sure. Uh, yeah, we will incorporate 4680 design solutions into many applications in time across both energy and vehicle. Uh, and we can use our, our pilot production facility in Fremont to support the new factory in Berlin as it ramps. Thank you very right. much. Let's go to the next question, which is um, uh, question number two from uh, retail shareholders. Does Tesla's tablet cell design allow for significantly higher peak charging rates? Does it improve the required taper curve? Yeah. Um, the fundamental limitation on charge rate and lithium-ion batteries is avoiding lithium plating on the anode. Um, and while the tablet's architecture helps avoid uh, overheating because it's a, a more power-dense architecture, uh, at high continuous charge rates, it, it doesn't change the anode plating story. Uh, electro design and anode material choice more directly determines the maximum charge rate and how to avoid that lithium plating problem. Okay, thank you very much. The third question from retail is, would FSB be able to, tra uh, to be transferred to, uh, to our next vehicle or pay a transfer fee? Uh, it would add the broad uh, it would add to a brand lo loyalty, in the same way gaming companies and cell phone companies keep you in their ecosystem by letting you transfer purchases uh, to upgraded hardware. Um, yeah, I think uh, we'll, 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 give, we'll give it some thought. Okay. Uh, the fourth question uh, is, what are the remaining constraints to be solved for solar roof installations to ramp significantly? Carl? Yeah, I'm Carl Peterson. I'm on the solar roof engineering and, and installation. The biggest constraint right now on solar roof ramp is getting enough installers on board and trained and, and experienced. 
we've made a lot of progress on this in, in Q3 and we're continuing to hire. The next opportunity is improving the material flow on the job site. We've talked about this a lot uh, in the factory as well, that um, setting up the right packaging, kitting, so that every, every installer on the roof has the parts they need at their fingertips. Um, also, we've had great response from third-party roofing contractors as they're ramping up installations for solar roof on their customer homes, which is a big source of future growth. Thank you, Carl. Yeah. I mean, here's a way to think about a product, in my opinion. You have to say, I think, what do you want the world to look like? When you look around the neighborhood, the future, a decade from now, you know, what do you want? What, what products are going to make your life better? What, what future do you want? And I think a future where we've got beautiful roofs with generating energy uh, that are tough and, tough and resilient and better in every way than a regular roof and alive with energy, that's the future we want. Uh, the solar roof is a killer product. This will become obvious next year. Thank you. And the last question from retail shareholders is, uh, you recently referred to Tesla as a conglomerate of startups. Other than manufacturing electric cars, what do you suppose will be the most valuable business units within Tesla over the next five to seven years? Could you envision any of them ever spinning out from Tesla? Well, yeah, I was thinking about this today. <clears throat> I mean, Tesla is probably, there's probably in excess of a dozen startups effectively in Tesla. Um, Every major product line is a startup. Um, every every new big new plant is a startup, um, and sometimes, frankly, we we have to learn the lesson a few times before it sinks in. Um, but and you know, uh, even things like service and sales are are startups. Other car companies. OEMs, they don't own their sales and service. So we have to create our service network. We have to create our sales and delivery network. Um, we have to do this in, I don't know, 40 countries, um, multiple languages. Um, something that people don't, don't really even know much about is our internal applications team that, that writes the core uh, technology that runs the company. Um, we, we are not dependent on um, enterprise software. Like, for those who understand what this means, this is a very big deal. Um, and my hat is off to the, to the great work of the internal applications team. Um, they, they, write, they write the nervous system, the, the operating system of the company, the Tesla operating system. Uh, extremely fundamental. Um, obviously, insurance is, is, is substantial. So insurance could very well be on a 30 40% of of the, the, the value of the car business, frankly. Um, and as we've talked about before, with a much better feedback loop, um, instead of it being statistical, it can be specific. Now, obviously, somebody does not have to choose our insurance, um, but I think a lot of people will. Um, it's just, it, it's going to cost less and be better, so why wouldn't you? Then uh, the whole autonomy thing is a startup. The computer chip was designing our own computer chips was a startup. Uh, obviously, cells are, are a startup. Designing and making our own power electronics for the drive unit. Uh, designing, manufacturing our own uh, motors, uh, chargers. The supercharger network is a startup. Um, the thing I think that people just don't really understand about Tesla is that it, it's it's a whole chain of startups. And they're like, well, you didn't do that before. Yeah, but we're doing it now. And I, I mean, I think so far we have not, we've maybe been a bit slow with some of the startups, but I don't think we've had any any of them fail. So, so far so good. No plans to spin anything out. That just sounds like added complexity. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to institutional investor questions. The question number one is, as a bridge to the route hailing network, could you leverage the insurance product to give customers the ability to rent out their vehicles via, via the app 
thereby enabling the car to make money for them. So basically proprietary version of Turo. We, I think we're going to focus on enabling the robo-taxi system. So you can just basically, like that's a, that's a sub, that's just really quite a small subset of the overall robo-taxi or, or robo-car thing where you can have the car be autonomous for you. Uh, you can have the car be, you know, share with friends and family. Uh, you can add or remove it from the network. You can have it be entirely in the network. I mean, if you're an Uber or Lyft driver, uh, you, you could be managing, you know, a fleet of 10 cars. Um, it sort of seems like a, you know, shepherd tending the flock type of thing. It's like you just get more, way more leverage. Um, so, you know, I think that that's that's sort of a, we we could do that and it wouldn't be very difficult. Um, but we we're going to just be focused on just having an autonomous network. You know, that has sort of elements of Uber, Lyft, and Airbnb. Um, Thank you. And the second question from institutionals is, residential energy use accounts for roughly the same magnitude of carbon emissions as road transport. Today's boilers and aircom units are profoundly unsexy. Uh, could you elaborate on hints that HVAC advances with the Y could also find use in a domestic system? Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Drew. I was just gonna say, I mean, I think one of the things we focused on with the Model Y and now Model 3 heat pump system was learning how to build a tightly integrated system capable of moving heat to and from anywhere, really, powertrain, battery, cabin, the environment, in outside ambient temperatures all the way down to, like, negative 20 uh, C, so 30 C. Um, and that's definitely applicable to, uh, to the home's needs of heating and cooling the, the, the home and, and the water in your house. So certainly applicable. Uh, Elon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think like the, the heat, for the heat pump in the car, being able to use the battery as both a thermal and an electric uh, energy reservoir is very significant. Um, same thing could be applied to a home uh, with the um, water heater uh, So and, and the battery pack itself, of course. Um, so like, I think there's potential for an integrated home system that kind of is power generation, storage, uh, heat and cooling, air filtration, uh, you know, water purification in, in a really tight package. Um, we, we don't actually have like a prototype or anything, but I think conceptually that is something that would be probably good to have. Thank you. Uh, the third question from institutionals is, if meeting your long-term volume targets requires price reductions that uh, preclude you from achieving your uh, low double-digit stated margin targets for the autos business. Will you still reduce prices accordingly? Um, well, it, we, we, we want to make our cars more affordable, and it's always important to separate out affordability from value for money. Um, you know, if, if the car's, car is too expensive or any given product is too expensive and, and people don't have enough money in their bank account, they simply can't buy it no matter what the value proposition is. So it is important to lower the prices in order to such that people can literally just have enough money to buy it. I, I do not think we lack for desire for our product, but we do lack for affordability. And so we have to improve the affordability of our products um, so they are not out of reach of, of people. We want to bring them more in reach over time, um, but, but also improve our uh, cost of production. Um, obviously, you know, we get hopefully a little bit better every year, but sometimes a lot better. And um, I mean, in terms of margins, I, all of these margins are going to look pretty comically small when you factor in um, autonomy. Yeah, um, two things I'll add to that. Um, uh, uh, without a doubt, I mean, we're moving forward to push as much volume as we reasonably can. Uh, you know, so Elon talked to earlier kind of how the S-curve and the timeline of incremental factories looks like, and so we're moving full speed ahead with as much volume as we can re reasonably move forward with. Uh, the, the second comment I'd make is if you just look at the journey of the company uh, over the last year and a half, we have grown volumes and grown gross margins 
uh, despite a, a number of price reductions over that period of time, and we've kept OPEX uh, fairly stable during that period of time as well. And so the key uh, is, is what Elon mentions here. I mean, we, we have to improve the affordability of the vehicle. We, we have to also continue to make progress improving the cost structure of um, not only COGS, but of OPEX, which we've demonstrated over the last year and a half, uh, I think, quite successfully, and uh, improve the value of the vehicles at the same time. So in addition to reducing the cost of the car, we're making the cars better. And, and that's the formula to sell the volume. That's what we're focused on. Thank you very much. Uh, the fourth question from institutionals is, at one at what point do you expect to have enough internal or external battery capacity to start ramping up stationary storage deployments again? Yeah, we're we're ramping up stationary storage a lot. Um, so, I mean, it's approximately doubling. We expect it to approximately double um, next year. So, that's pretty good. Um, and uh, hope, hopefully we can accelerate that in years to come. And approximately doubling it this year, too, so the growth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you just keep doubling things, pretty soon you hit the mass of the universe, and we'll need to start, you know, turning Jupiter into cells. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question from institutionals is, manufacturing is hard, delays happen, what contingencies do you have in place to ensure that bottlenecks that you might encounter while renting internal cell production will not preclude you from uh, the from your ability to hit your Model Y production volume targets in Berlin and Texas? Yeah, so I think it's <clears throat> we've, we've tried to de-risk tw uh, 2021 so that there's um, you know almost no dependency on our internal cell production. Uh, it's very very small. Uh, the internal cell production will help us ramp in 22, but we're not dependent on it for 21. And to de-risk the manufacturing system itself, that was one of the reasons why we located our pilot production facility here in Fremont, so we can rapidly iterate on manufacturing scale-up challenges, provide rapid feedback to the design of both the product and the equipment. Yeah, and our pilot line is pretty big as pilot lines go. It's a uh, it will be in the top 10 cell factories on Earth, I believe. Yeah. That is true. A subscale one. Yeah, so. Thank you very much. And now we can go to questions uh, from analysts online. Cherie? Thank you. Again, we remind you to please ask one question and one follow-up question. Our first question will come from Rod Lachey with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Hi, everybody. Um, wanted to ask about uh, the targets from your, your battery day. Um, looked like you, you could be approaching something like 20 million vehicles by 2030 if you, you hit those goals. Um, could you maybe share with us a little bit more of a, a midterm target, like where would you be um, by 2025, and, and maybe uh, give us a little bit more insight into the investment required to get there just to put that extra 2 to $2.5 billion per year in, in, into context? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the, the tricky thing with trying to predict things midway through an exponential is that, you you know, if, if things are doubling every year or even just growing 50%, then if you shift one, you know, plus minus one year, it has a huge effect on the the number. Um, so then it sounds like, wow, you either massively exceeded or massively uh, undershot. But it's actually what's going on is an, uh, a, a giant S-curve. So a whole bunch of... Pretty big S curves that integrate into a gigantic S curve. Um, so that, that's why it's, it's difficult to predict the middle. And, and I'm not saying for sure we would hit 20 million vehicles, but it does seem like a good goal to have because that would mean that we're replacing 1% of the global fleet per year. Um, and it's, it's difficult to say that we're, you know, are we really changing the world if we're not um, switching out 1% of the global uh, fossil fuel vehicles? I mean, it's, it's, I'm not sure that we can make that argument unless we unless we change at least one percent of the vehicles per year. So that, that, that's where the two the 20 million vehicles per year comes from. It's like one percent of two billion vehicles, which is the the global fleet currently. The global fleet is growing, uh, so it'll probably be a bit bigger in the future. Um, 
So, okay. you know, it's, it's hard to say. It's like, I don't know, map an S-curve to a $20 million, a 20 million vehicle target in 2030 and move a slider around and, and see what that number looks like. Mm -hmm. that, that, that will give you about as much insight as we have. Okay. Um, and just secondly, um, you know, if solid-state lithium metal were to become viable, could you just maybe just pass along your perspective on that, and, and would you be able to repurpose most of what you're putting into place uh, for changes in technology? Yeah, I mean, answering the first part, um, the, the self-production system is fairly agnostic on anode, cathode, electrolyte, separate, that kind of thing. It's, we, we could change and we will change and upgrade the uh, all, all aspects of the cell. Um, so, um, and we could, for example, make iron phosphate or uh, nickel manganese or something like that. Um, it, it's, it's quite adaptable. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, just, it's not too much to worry about. The, the lithium, like a pure lithium anode is, um, I mean, not, it's not as, as it's it's not as great as it may sound, um, you know. Uh, yeah, um, but volumetrically, you're you're not gaining all that much. Uh, yeah, because if you've got nothing on the the cell on the other side, and you've got and you just play out lithium, it's got to it's got to go somewhere. So you got to have room for it. Um, yeah, yeah, lithium so. is less volumetrically dense in the pure metal form than it is in percolated into silicon. So it's kind of hard to understand, but that, that's, that's the truth. And, and then as we showed in our presentation, the, the total anode cost that we're talking about is only a, a dollar or two per kilowatt hour. So the value of like removing the anode material isn't super high either. So yes, I totally agree Elon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but if it should turn out that a pure lithium anode is the right move, that would simply, that would be no problem. Right, agreed. Yeah. All right, thank you. Thank you, next question, next question please. Our next question will come from Colin Rush with Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Um, thanks so much, guys. Uh, yeah, you're, you're talking about insourcing um, a number of processes. Can you talk a little bit about which um, processes you're, you're moving in-house in the equipment that you're planning to make yourself uh, versus uh, some of the equipment that you'd be buying from other folks? Sorry, are you talking about the for cell manufacturing or something? Or well, we, we cell manufacturing for sure, as well as on uh, on the molds uh, that you talked about. But you know, in terms of the capex budget that you mentioned earlier, talking about uh, you know the, the number of processes coming in house um, and which equipment pieces you're planning to make yourself versus uh, buying. Okay, well, I mean, Tesla is, is absurdly vertically integrated compared to other auto companies or. Uh, Basically, almost any company. Uh, the we have a massive amount of internal manufacturing technology that we that we build ourselves. We we literally make the machine. We in fact we we design. It's like okay, what is the thing we want to make? Design the machine that will make that thing. Then we make the machine. This is what this 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 makes it quite difficult to copy Tesla, which we're not actually all that opposed to people copying us, but it's quite difficult because you can't do catalog engineering. You can't just I'll pick up the supplier catalog. I'll get one of this machine, one of that machine. Bingo! I'm now I'm Tesla. Um, you have to. There is no catalog. What? Cat, you know, so we, we made the machine that made the machine that made the machine. <laughs> it gets, no, no, we don't. We don't want to get carried away here. But um, and quite frankly, we would like to outsource less. Um, that would be great because um, then if we could outsource, if we could take something that we're doing and outsource it, then we could take those people and and they, we could have them do someone else. Um, but. Um, yeah, it's like we we just make a crazy amount of machinery internally. Um, this is pathos are not well well understood. Um, if, if you just walk around the factory, you can just get a sense for it. Um, and um, yeah, I, I don't mean I, I don't know if this is like a smart move, but I I just know like hey, if we're trying to make progress and nobody's got the machine that we we need, we we, we got to make it. So that's what we do. Um, Okay, and then the second question is, is really around, you know, the, the balance sheet has really changed. You guys have run awfully lean, and you've got a lot more, uh, a lot more cushion at this point. You know, and obviously there's opportunities around insurance to drive up some of the cost of ownership as well as financials. You know, how 
are you guys thinking about that as you, you move into trying to accelerate demand a little bit and your ability to, to leverage your access to capital and enable some of those uh, those other products? Um, you know, is that changing from, from where you've been in the past? Yeah, I mean, something like insurance is a good example of, of a product that's basically made by our internal applications team. Um, so we just, we just we made the insurance product and connect it to the car, look at the, the data, calculate the risk. This is all internally, basically internal software application. Um, it's pretty low capital, um, but has very high return. Um, I, I don't know. If, if we're trying to spend money at the fastest rate that we can possibly spend it and not waste it. That's our current plan. And so it's quite hard to spend money without wasting it. Um, or, or just, you know, we're like really just trying to not waste too much of it, frankly. We will certainly waste some of it, uh, but trying to waste, not waste too much of it, this is very difficult. Um, but otherwise, we just try to spend money as, as quickly as possible in a way that is sensible and yields more value than it, it costs. Thank you. Our next question will come from Adam Jonas with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hey, Elon, um, question on LiDAR. If LiDAR were totally free, would you want to use it in your cars near term? Would that tech significantly help Tesla in the training of your neural network for FSD? I mean, totally free? Probably not. I think probably, I, I think even if it was free, we wouldn't put them on. Okay. Um, let's follow up then. Um, Amazon appears to be investing and in building an autonomous or electric transport network of some ilk through some organic investments, but also, you know, Zooks, Aurora, Rivian, et cetera. What advice would you give Jeff Bezos in his endeavor? Well, I don't know how much he cares about this, but I guess he sure is investing a lot of money in it. Um, Um, I mean, I think you also need to vote for, if you care about autonomy, you need to focus on vision, because the entire road system is uh, based on passive optical. So you have to solve passive optical for it to have a self-driving system that is a generalized solution. Uh, and once you solve passive optical, you've solved self-driving. So why bother with anything else? Thanks, Elon. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Our next question will come from Pierre Farragou with New Street Research. Please go ahead. Um, hey, thanks a lot for taking my question. A very simple one. You haven't talked that much about like the Cybertruck today, uh, and I was wondering uh, how like the ramp of that product is uh, uh, looking like when we when we should see um, uh, the product hitting the road, and how fast you expect to ramp volumes. Can I have a quick follow-up? Sure. Um, I, I was in the studio actually on uh, last Friday uh, with Franz and the team, just going over the just uh, sort of sort of some improved improvements to the Cybertruck. You know, generally with you know at Tesla, we we really aim to make the car that is delivered better than the car that is uh, unveiled, because um, always drove me crazy. You know, car companies would unveil these awesome-looking cars. <laughs> and you're like, great, I can't wait till I make that. And then they, the car they actually make is, is like, much worse. And, and that is just, it's, like, really disappointing. So, man, we were always want to make the car that we deliver be better than the car we unveil. And that's the goal with the Cybertruck. So um, there's, like, a lot of, lot of small improvements compared to what was unveiled. Um, it's, you know, I think it's going to be better than what we showed. Uh, and... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It, like it, it, it's going to be made in um, in Austin, so it's can you know depend on completing that factory. And there are obviously new technologies with the you know high, high hardness uh, kind of armored exoskeleton. This is I've never been done before, so there'll be there'll probably be some challenges along the way. Um, and obviously something something that's extremely high hardness and difficult to scratch. Or dance um, is also difficult to form, uh, so it's 
there's some manufacturing challenges there. That's why it's so cleaner. Um, although it also looks good, I think, from a cleaner standpoint. Um, yeah, man, if, if all goes well, we will be able to do some Cybertruck deliveries uh, towards the end of next in, towards the end of next year. Yeah, so it's, it's difficult to predict. Um, I'd say there's probably a lot of deliveries in 22, and some deliveries towards the end of next year, if things go well. Okay. And now I'm trying to get a sense of how next year is going to look like. So if I look at your production capacity at the end of this year, it's going to be almost 850,000 units uh, on an annualized basis. And you're going to um, increase capacity in Shanghai, uh, open Berlin. You say today you would open Austin as well. So you're probably going to end the year above a million units. And, and so... Am I right thinking next year we should expect you to deliver uh, like somewhere like between 840,000 and 1 million uh, cars during the year? Yeah, we'll provide uh, guidance on 2021 after next earnings call. I mean, it's, it's, it's in that vicinity. Um, yeah, you're not far off. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question will come from Dan Levy with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, good evening. Thank you. Just uh, wanted to start with a, a question on the quarter. Um, Zach, maybe you could give us a sense of uh, where directionally Model Y and China Model 3 gross margin was in the quarter relative to Fremont Model 3. Uh, and then just a little more color on the gross margin in the quarter. Was this just purely a function of higher volume, or was there also uh, FSD revenues? Just puts and takes on the gross margin in the quarter. Sure. Uh, on your question about FSD, uh, uh, there was a small amount of, F of uh, deferred revenue released. It's not particularly material uh, in the $10 million range for the quarter. Uh, with respect to product margins, um, you know, what we're seeing across the board is just continued reduction in cost really across every product. Uh, Shanghai continues to make good progress there. Um, Model Y cost is also coming down quite quickly as we ramp that. But we've guided in the past that Model Y cost should be roughly equivalent to the Model 3 built-in Fremont cost. It's not quite there, and it's also a bit of a moving target. As Model 3 Fremont cost comes down, Model Y also has to come down with that. Um, but we're generally seeing you know, strength in, in Shanghai margin, strength in uh, Model Y margins, and not too far off of it, we're seeing strength in Model 3 Fremont and SNX margins. So overall for the quarter, I think it was quite a good story for the products. Great. Great. Thanks. Um, and then this is a follow-up. wanted to ask about your your strategy uh, in Europe. And, and I, I think your strategy generally has been, you know, you cut costs, so that allows you to cut price and you can generate the extra volume. And I think that's, you know, what we're seeing in China and, you know, the, the use of LFP, that's that's a good example. So once you ramp in Berlin, what's a reasonable expectation of what pricing might look like in Europe? And, you know, how flexible are you going to be on pricing, you know, to generate uh, incremental red credit? So, you know, uh, margins out of the gate that are a little low, but, you know, that are then used for the red credits that, you know, help to offset that. Yeah, but what I think I would say generally to the question is, I mean, we're, we've been in a position for, for some time now where we are pri prioritizing where in the world we send our production. And, um, you know, there's different factors to that depending upon when different product changes are made, what the logistics routing looks like, um, different things going on in different markets. But, but we are in a position where we need to prioritize. Uh, ideal, I mean, what we're trying to do as fast as we possibly can is get production up higher so that we're not in a position of needing to prioritize again. Um, th there are, yeah, I think that gets at the sentiment of your question. Okay, let's go to the next question, please. Our next question will come from Gene Munster with Loop Ventures. Please go ahead. Good evening. Uh, question on the semi. Elon, if you could just walk us through the development of mega chargers, platooning, and maybe just how you think about autonomy for Tesla semi and what it's 
how you envision it impacting the broader trucking industry beyond just EVs? Uh, well, actually, Jerome, do you want to ask that? Yeah, we continue the development of the semi, and uh, uh, in particular, mega chargers. We, we realized that the 350 uh, kilowatt or, or or so that uh, we might be looking for cars is not going to be enough for semi. So we're looking for something much more uh, powerful than that uh, that can achieve um, essentially charging as fast uh, the semi. As um, as you during a break uh, during your driving time, so that you can drive until the next break. Yeah. Um, so there is no usable or um, efficient time wasted for charging uh, the semi. That's that's the goal. Um, uh, we're working with uh, uh, other parties to make sure that there is a standard infrastructure that will be able to. Uh, uh, be deployed uh, for all customers. Um, yeah, that's probably all I can say at this point. Yeah. yeah so we're not working on. A, sorry, go ahead. Just we're not working in isolation. Yeah, we're trying to. Well, we have to invent it because it doesn't exist, you know. But we're we're trying to invent something uh, that could be uh, helpful for everybody. Yeah, just, just a, a note on the, the sort of semi. The the, the the semi does consume a lot of cells, so it's. Uh, you know, call it, you know, four to six times more than a passenger vehicle. Maybe call it five, you know, five-ish times. So um, if we are cell-constrained, it is, it, it kind of, it's difficult to ramp up the semi because there's no, there's no cells. Um, so we need to solve the cell constraint before ramping semi to significant volume. That's the only real constraint on semi-progress. Um, and, uh, you know, just, we, we found over and over again, we were just, we just kept running into cell, cell production limitations. Um, and then we're just taking things out of one pocket and putting them in another. Uh, so you know, it, 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 we, we just need more cells so that we can do more stationary storage, more vehicles, uh, more vehicle lines. Yeah, we need more cells. So, uh, Make, makes sense. Uh, a yeah. question just if you think about you know you've talked about robo taxi and how you uh, think that's going to impact kind of humans moving around how do you think about semi impacting uh freight longer term i mean is this uh something that is nice to have and a complement to all of your tech getting in new markets or do you think that this could be a material business i i think it's uh, very material for sure um <clears throat> I mean, really long-term, all transport will go autonomous. Yeah. Horses are, are already autonomous. <laughs> um, but all, all transport will go autonomous. Um, yeah, so including semis. So it'll be yeah, pretty significant. And the technology that we're putting in semi is identical to what we're putting in the other vehicles. Yeah, it's just big, bigger, big, bigger and more motors. Thank you. Let's go to the Our next question will come from Ben Callow with Baird. Please go ahead. Hey, hey thanks for take, uh, taking my question. Hey, Elon, what do you think the biggest structural issue is with the, let's call it old school OEMs, um, or one or two of the structural issues uh, for them not getting their act together and, and catching up with you? Um, and then, uh, um, you, you mentioned what you we want the world to look like um, ahead of us. What do you envision that? Is it like just Tesla or, or Tesla and Rivian or 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 what? Thanks. Well, I do think there will be other car companies. I don't think we're going to be the only one. Um, so, I, I mean, the things that like like what what uh, the car companies do, even in the auto segment, is quite a small subset of what Tesla does. So, you know, Tesla, we we design and build. We're very vertically integrated, so we're designing and building so much of the car, so much more of the car than other OEMs, um, who who will largely go to the traditional supply base and, like I call it, catalog engineering. You know, so um, it, it's not very adventurous. Uh, 
and and basically it ends up like all the products end up looking the same because they're going to the same suppliers. Um, so, I mean, to the degree that you inherit legacy components, you inherit the legacy limitations and cost structure, and so you, you kind of need to make new ingredients, new new parts, and then you need then there's no machine to make those parts, and so you have to make the machine that makes the parts. So, Tesla's like we, we probably. I mean, we might be an order of magnitude more vertically integrated than other car companies. And if we're not now, we certainly will be. Um, and then we also uh, we also have to create, like I said, our, our sales and service and distribution system in, I don't know, something on the order of 40 countries. You know, somewhere it'll be over 100 countries, whereas the other uh, car companies do not own their sales and service and distribution. So, you know, they, they say... If they kind of, you know, assemble parts from a supply base and then and then hand them to a dealer base. So it's it's just like it's not just it, like it, it's like comparing Tesla to a car company is like just comparing just really one facet or dimension of Tesla. We're like maybe ten percent in common with other car companies. Thank you. Uh, let's go to the last question, please. And our final question today will come from Philippe Houchois with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Um, yes, thank you for taking my questions. I've got two. Um, the first one for me is try to understand your business model for stationary storage. Have your thoughts on it? I mean, there are two broad directions for me. One is selling hardware, which is a bit of a cost-plus business. And I'm just wondering if there's an opportunity where Tesla could actually share into the savings um, that utilities in particular could be able to achieve in, like, grid stabilization. Uh, the information I was able to get on your business in Australia a few years ago suggests that, you know, given the savings that are achieved, um, your hardware could have been sold at a higher price. I'm just wondering if you have, you know, share views on where the business model is, is going. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Uh, um, I mean, RJ and Zach, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing this in Australia where we're seeing behind-the-meter uh, aggregation that is providing grid services back to the grid, which effectively reduces the price to the customer and reduces the prices for the grid operator. So you're seeing this trend happening across the globe. And it's going to be at the residential level as well as the wholesale level. So, you know, Megapack on one end and then power uh, wall on the other side. Those two working together in tandem and the software layer on top of it, AutoBidder being that, that really is going to help make the grid more efficient using the hardware platform and software together. And just a point of clarification, like that, the, the large power plant in, large battery power plant in Australia, like we continue to operate that power plant and generate revenue in the market. So it, whether we could have sold it for more or, or, or less, like we're, we're continuing to make money off of that power plant. Right. Okay, thank you. And, and the follow-up question I had was, during the battery day, you talked about this cell vehicle integration um, approach. It's very interesting. And when I look at that, when I think about it, it's, it's, it looks like this means that the, the skateboard design that Tesla pioneered and many of your followers are using is going to become obsolete. Or am I not thinking about it the right way? It will, it will be obsolete long term. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yes. Yeah. So talking. I mean, several years from now, it's it, 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 from now, it's it, 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 it's not like existing cars stop having value. It's just that this that, that if you have an if you have the if you have a structural pack where the pack is contributing uh, structural value to the car um, because of like the sort of like the composite honeycomb effect of you know shear transfer between an upper and lower plate, uh, then anything that doesn't do that is going to have to have duplicate hardware. Um, it's going to weigh more. It's going to cost more, um, and then the same goes for the front and rear castings. Um, I mean, we're, we're, really trying, we're, we're trying to make the car like you'd make a toy. Um, you know, if you if you had a toy model car, how would and then it's got to be real cheap and look look great. Um, how would you make that? You would cast it. And that's how it's done. It would be absurd to make it up of tiny little pieces of of stamped metal uh, joined in, in complex ways. Um, so it's sort of a natural thing to do, uh, and then the same goes for you know, using the, the, the energy storage. 
the, the battery as a structure which is done for aircraft wings and for rockets. Um, the early rockets and aircraft, they, they had a separate aero shell from the propellant tanks or fuel tanks, um, and, and then they realized that doesn't make sense, and you've got to integrate, the, you've got to have your fuel tank in wing shape, or you've got to have your propellant tanks in the, the shape of the body of the, the rocket, for example. Um, you, you don't want to put a box on a box, basically. Uh, so, you know, so, 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 which over many years made it like basically uncompetitive to have an aircraft that has separate fuel tanks uh, from the wing. The wing, need, the wings need to be fuel tanks. Um, but like, I wouldn't think of this as like it's like an overnight transition. It's several years. Uh, but but then, like I said, over time, it just it won't be competitive to, to have a different architecture, in my opinion. Thank you very much. Uh, unfortunately, this is all the time we have for the Q&A today. Uh, appreciate all your great questions, and we'll speak to you again in about three months. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.